and welcome to this podcast episode of the A to Z of Tech, where we will be exploring the theme of M for Mobile. I'm one of the hosts, Shreya, and I'm joined by my co-host, Luis. Thank you, Shreya. In this episode of the podcast, as you said, we're going to be looking at the topic of mobile technology and exploring its many benefits, as well as some of its maybe dark sides thinking about angles like um, economic factors, technological issues, um, societal, and also at a personal level as well. So basically asking, are we heading off a cliff or are we moving towards a technology utopia? I think for all of us, we've seen that connectivity has basically become an essential part of our daily lives. Um, And there has actually been some research published that most people in the UK are now dependent on their digital devices actually need a constant connection to the internet and then of course on top of that we also need to consider what differences we're seeing as a result of the world now having less mobility because of the COVID-19 pandemic as well. Thanks Louise. Um, Without much ado let's introduce the guests for our podcast today. Alex Wright is a manager in PwC's strategy and with a focus on technology media and telecom sector. Rob Freeman is a freelance technology journalist and lecturer. Key areas of his interests are new product creation, social media, and strategic planning for long-term trends. And finally, we also have Dr. Chetna Kang, who is a consultant psychiatrist at Nightingale Hospital in London. She has been involved with raising awareness around mental health and reducing stigma, with a particular focus on technology addictions. Alex, our first question today is to you. Could you start us off by telling a little bit about your role and what you do on a daily basis? Yeah, sure, Shreya. Um, So as you say, I'm a manager in Strategy And, which is PwC's strategy consulting house. Um, So most of my clients, in some shape or form, uh, because of the sector I work in, are involved in mobile technology, whether it's mobile operators, uh, mobile infrastructure equipment manufacturers, or, or tech companies who provide some kind of intellectual property. Um, to the sector. Um, so I'm, I'm pretty excited about this podcast and, and hopefully having a really good conversation about the industry and, and the impact, as you said at the start, that it's really having on all of our lives. Thank you for the introduction, Alex. And that's really great that you're interested in impact on how, uh, how mobile technology is impacting all of our lives. Actually, could we explore that a little further? What are the the impacts of mobile technology that you're seeing um, through your clients and projects that you're working on? Yeah, so I think um, from the perspective of many players in the industry, um, if we look ahead a little bit, I mean, the big technology that is coming online now and creating a lot of excitement, some would say a little bit too much excitement, perhaps, um, but is is 5G. Um, And the big prize, really, one of the big prizes anyway, from 5G is really enabling what's called the Internet of Things, IoT, uh, which essentially means coordinating machines, devices, um, and appliances over the internet um, in a a mobile way. Um, So as an example, 5G operators are going to invest about a trillion dollars over the next coming five years. um, And about 80% 80 of that is, is probably going to go into um, 5G infrastructure, and it really is exciting. And some of the some of the use cases that are coming out are they sound a little bit sci-fi like. So I'll give you I'll give you an example, um, Shreya. Uh, one of the use cases that um, 
that's that's actually partly been tested in a sense is robotics assisted uh, surgery. So this would this is where surgical robots um, would be remotely controlled by a surgeon, and that surgeon would be wearing a sort of haptic hand to be able to control movements. Um, and they'd be wearing a, a VR headset, an AR VR headset, in a completely different location. And 5G enables that, um, and it could be quite a remote, remote location, hence the mobile aspect. So 5G enables that by its ultra low latency connections, its ultra rely, reliability, um, and having a much faster um, mobile broadband. So if we if we kind of put robot surgery to one side for a moment and think maybe about some of the more, I suppose, day-to-day implementations of this kind of technology, um, but in particular, obviously, mobile technology, I think we've probably all had a slightly different journey from, you know, from original sort of fixed line through to mobile. I know I remember that my grandparents used to have one of those proper old rotary phones. Um, if we think about the world more broadly in this transition from fixed fixed line to mobile, are different countries at different stages in this development process, as it were, Alex? It's it's a really good question, Louise, and the answer the answer is yes. So different countries are at different stages, um, and the dividing line really is along economic lines. So between developed economies and developing economies, and not necessarily. Um, in the way you might think, actually. So broadly, people in the developing world rely far more heavily on mobile internet data um, than fixed broadband, that fixed line data that you were talking about. Um, and in the developed world, where we are at the moment, it is, it is the other way around. So for example, um, if we take India as, um, as a really good example of this. So India has the highest consumption levels of mobile data, so things consumed across their mobile phone, per user per month anywhere in the world. They use about 12 gigabytes a month per user. Um, but only 4% of households in India um, have a fixed broadband connection, which might not be surprising. Um, but if you look conversely at the UK, it is the opposite. So mobile data consumption per user is, is still high. It's about, uh, it's about three gigabytes per user per month. So that's what we use in our, on our mobile phones. Um, but 80% of households have fixed broadband. Um, so it's, it's, really, um, it's really quite interesting. And Louise, you, you alluded to at the start of this piece some, uh, some research by Ofcom, um, and, and they've actually picked up on this point as well. So every year, I believe, Ofcom asks the public in the UK, and Ofcom is the regulator here in the UK, uh, they asked the public, what would be your most missed device if you didn't have it? Um, so back in 2014, people's most missed device uh, was actually their TV, their TV sets, right? So 37% of people said the most missed device would be uh, TV sets. And mobile phones came in second place. By 2019, uh, actually about 50% of us were saying that mobile phones were our most missed device. So it was number one. And TVs had really sunk down the list, and they were at about 30% last year uh, in 2019. And interestingly, interestingly, throughout all of that period, computers, which obviously use fixed broadband, um, were sort of languishing around 14 or 10% across that whole period. So I think, in summary, um, Louise, it's probably safe to say that in people's minds, I think people have made that switch from 
um, fixed uh, to mobile, as, as you alluded to. And I think that um, I think that disparity between different countries is, is actually really fascinating. And um, if we pick, pick up on some of those economic points that you alluded to, I think mobile phones now are basically just tiny computers that we carry around with us. They're not just phones anymore. Um, and then if we think in the, more widely around all of the data that we now store on our mobile phones and therefore kind of carry around with us all nowadays, presumably all of that data has a value as well. It, you're absolutely right, Louise. It does have a value. Um, on the broader economic impact of mobile, I think in summary, I think mobile has transformed the economy of the rich world um, and is having a really significant impact on, on developing countries. So if we throw out some stats again, um, mobile technology and services added about uh, just over $4 trillion of economic value globally to global GDP, which is about 4.7% of global GDP um, in 2019, last year. And about 30 million people's jobs uh, depended on mobile technology in some form or another, as in their job would simply not exist without it. Um, and you know, you mentioned again that that point about developing countries versus developed. I think the impact is probably actually even greater in those develop, developing countries, and that's sort of borne out by the figures. So, if you think of remote villages, for example, in, in parts of West Africa, they can now access cheap mobile phones with data. And what does that mean? They, that means they can access mobile banking services, which is obviously a critical step to lifting people out of poverty. Um, and meeting those UN sustainable development goals, for example. And fixed infrastructure just wouldn't be possible in many of those parts of the world because it's, it's too expensive. Um, and I mean, again, this, this, this difference between developing and, and developed countries. So in parts of West Africa and the Sub-Saharan Africa, um, mobile contributes about 9% of, of GDP, directly or indirectly in Europe, it's only about three and a half percent. So there's a there is a real um, difference there. Fascinating. Thank you, Alex. So on that note, if we could turn to society and education a little bit more from the economic, um, we turn to you, Rob. Could you tell us a little bit more about yourself and what you do on a daily basis? Hello, Shreya. Yes, nice to be with you. Uh, so I uh, work as a technology journalist uh, and researcher. Um, in the last few years, I've also moved into education and I'm uh, working with a couple of universities in London and I, I, I teach young 18, 19, 20 year olds about uh, various aspects of the media, both in kind of theoretical production uh, and and in, in technical and actually doing it. We put them into TV studios and we put them into radio studios and we give them kit uh, and they are they make things, they are creative with them. Um, and the, the move to mobile uh, in this respect, particularly in these times we are in uh, with a global pandemic, I had never expected the, the sort of uptake of the use of mobile technology to be running as fast as it is. Uh, but thank goodness it is from my point of view, because of course, uh, where we are now, we can't put students into uh, studios and we can't put students into uh, you know TV uh, and the traditional the traditional infrastructure that we would normally have. Thanks, Rob. That's a really interesting point. Where is mobile technology, in your view, going in our future? It's going to get smaller. 
It's certainly going to get faster with applications such as 5G, but I don't think we've really worked out um, you know, sort of the, the, the creative uh, elements of this. Everyone I listen to who talks about uh, the in increase in, in speed and capacity for technology um, comes at it from a, from a very a business-centric side, as you can probably understand. I mean, I'm looking at it from the creative industries and i just don't think we are anywhere near there yet you're seeing it a little bit in what we're getting in um youtubers uh, and also uh, in the last certainly 18 months many more people who've realized that actually the the audio part of media is relatively simple to get going and it's relatively cheap and it's stable and it works. And so we've got so many more podcasters now than we used to have. And I think we've barely scratched the surface of the people who can actually contribute in the fact that if you have an interesting creative idea, you can actually get it out there. And it's the mobile technology that is enabling people to do that, not just from connectivity, although that's really important. It's about having a, a good quality camera that is stable, um, uh, doesn't draw too much power and creates technically a really good picture. Also, you know, editing and production capability as well. I can give you a nice example of this. So around the country, we've got lots and lots of radio and television studios, and they are the, the hubs for local and regional news across the United Kingdom. Now, they are almost all of them uh, working on technology that was introduced in this country in the 70s. And it's that issue with big, fixed, expensive infrastructure that Alex mentioned before. And in the same way that we know from all of the examples where you've got emerging nations and they bypass a lot of that and go straight into you know, wireless um, telephone and broadband, the same things happen there with uh, YouTubers. So you could pick up any relatively modern phone, you know, not one that was used last year, one that was used three or four years ago. The technical capability of that unit, particularly in its, uh, in its sound and its vision, will give you something like four times the technical quality that you can get from many of the regional TV studios that I'm familiar with. Um, and certainly a lot of the academic infrastructure that I, I work with as well. I think it's fascinating that you can start a YouTube channel effectively with a mobile phone and have four times the technical quality that a big national broadcaster can have. But don't get me wrong, they can have it, but that stuff involves changing at the core some, some, some large, very expensive infrastructure, and you have to get everyone working on the same system first before you can really switch it on for everyone. Absolutely fascinating discussion, Rob. Thank you so much for your insights. Yeah, that was quite astounding, actually. Um, I think, so now we've touched on some of the business, um, economic and creative aspects of mobile technology. And actually also they've sort of touched on even the freedom that mobile technology can enable. This seems like the perfect moment to turn to our final guest for today's podcast, Dr. Chetna Kang. Thank you so much for being with us today. Before we talk about mobiles and technology in a bit more detail, could you just tell us a little bit about your role and your research interests? 
Um, so yeah, my name is Dr. Chetna Kang, as you said, uh, and I'm a consultant psychiatrist. Uh, I generally uh, focus on adult mental health, uh, but that's from young adults, 16 upwards, uh, right through to um, older persons. And a lot of my work is around raising awareness, reducing stigma. And over the last few years, I guess what I've seen is, like all our guests, an increase in the amount people are using. So generally what I'm seeing in my clinics is, whilst very few people are specifically coming with, oh, I'm addicted to technology, they're still coming with increasing levels of anxiety, depression, etc. But more and more, I'm seeing that mobile devices or certainly use of the internet and social media is either contributing to or exacerbating their mental health problems. But I think the issue is that when social media or excessive mobile device use starts to become an obstacle or is overly relied on for our sense of who we are, evaluating what others think of us and having deep, meaningful connection with others, because it is much harder to do all of those things and evaluate those things through digital media rather than in person. So, for example, if we look at how um, digital technology behaves, okay, and how messages behave, how communication behaves, it works a lot faster than real-time human emotion. All right, so a case in point is, for example, um, look at instant messaging or something like WhatsApp. If I send a message to someone, um, however, it, it may be practical, it may be emotionally loaded, etc., or they send me a message, there's some indication of whether a message has been received or whether it's been read. Now, in a normal conversation, there are pauses, there's eye contact, there is an opportunity to think and say, you know, I'll come back to you, right? But we have an expectation that the minute our message is seen, you know, you see the two blue ticks, I expect a response. And if you haven't responded to me immediately, I get caught up in, you know, one might get caught up in their own internal dialogue. Oh, why haven't they? Right? Why hasn't this person? Do they not like me anymore? Are they not interested? Is something else more important? Not understanding, you know, immediately what comes to mind isn't that, oh, the person may have, it may have got a blue tick because it came up on their notifications, they saw it but they're in the middle of something else and so now don't have time to respond to it or maybe they want a few minutes to think about it. But do you see this, 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 this disparity between real-time emotions and communication, which is very individual versus what we have and expectations on uh, mobile devices, it's skewed things for us and it ends up very um, acutely shining a spotlight on where our vulnerabilities in our relationships and self-esteem lies. Can I can I just jump jump in and ask a, a question of Dr. Kang there? Um, what do you think about the default of uh, mobile companies, particularly when you sorry mobile app developers, uh, whenever you install something new? I don't know about uh, you, but I it worries me when they set the default to turn notifications on. Whenever I get a new app, it sits there and nags me, do you want to turn notifications on? And whereas I used to do this, I now solidly try and turn them off because I found I was just looking at the, looking at the phone the whole time, waiting for some lights to pop on and off. 
Absolutely. Yeah, I'm, I'm the same. You know, it's it's that that it is. I get annoyed by that as well. No, I want to turn my notifications off because, you know, those notifications, what they do is they keep us in a situation where we have to be socially switched on all the time. And that is exhausting. When a lot of these apps, these platforms for people to connect were designed, they were designed with a very good intention. They were designed to bring people together. And that's wonderful. However, the way they've developed has been that, hang on, if we're going to enable your life, we'll enable your life in order to be able to also sell to you because you can't have this all for free. I was, I, 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 especially more recently, especially in the last years, I've become more and more aware that if I do a bit of online shopping and I happen to leave a page and I leave a dress or a blouse and I decide, oh, I'll come back to it later. I'll go to another website completely unrelated. And a pop-up comes up of that dress or that pair of shoes. Now, I sit there thinking, if I went shopping to an ordinary shop and I found a dress and I decided I'll come back and have a look at that, there is no way the shopkeeper is going to grab that dress and chase me down the street to the next store saying, hey, look at this. Don't you remember this dress? Why didn't you buy it? Why don't you buy it right now? Look, we'll give you 30% off. Do you see what I mean? So it's, it's this... This idea that, yes, we've been given so many things to enable relationships, but in the meantime, it's designed to keep us on there, to actually sell so many other things to us. I mean, this sounds a bit extreme, but it's like the perfect drug. First of all, it's that perfect drug because it changes according to what our needs are. Right? Think about it. Our feed, and it's interesting it's called a feed, right? We're being fed it quite literally, is changing depending on what we like, what we don't like, how, how many seconds we spend on a particular page, um, why we move and what we move to next, right? So it's constantly changing. Imagine I gave you a drug which changed according to your needs. When you needed to be high, it made you high. When you needed to be low, it made you low. When you needed to, be, to laugh, it made you laugh, right? If I gave you a drug like that, you would come back for it over and over again, even more so if it was socially acceptable. I think what you said is really interesting, Dr. Kang, but um, what is the main crux of the issue uh, here? Is it that people find their device as a comfort blanket or is it knowing that you can be connected at all times and not wanting to miss out or having a need for online validation? I think it's both. Um, I think there is a definitely a need for validation and connection. And once, you know, your mobile device becomes your primary way of doing that, um, the danger is it doesn't become your sole way of doing that, or your only way of doing that. Doing anything online, you get your results straight away. Because you get your results straight away, it can feel like you're actually achieving, you know, that dopamine fix, that quick hit, that, oh, I've done something. And so it lulls you into this false sense of, okay, well, whatever problem I have, whatever difficult feeling or psychological issue I have, at the moment, I feel safe. I feel safe in the world I've created through my mobile device. With that in mind, as a sort of final thought, how do we go about finding a balance then between some of the positives that mm. mobile devices and that kind of connectivity can bring to us versus some of those challenges and pitfalls then that also come hand in hand with that at the same time? What, what are your recommendations? So my recommendations, there's three areas I think everybody should focus on. So first of all, the amount of time we spend on the mobile device, okay? The second thing is uh, the content that we're con consuming, 
and what platforms we're using to consume that content. And the third thing is um, relationships. So where we are using mobile devices to stay connected to others, to balance that with actual genuine face-to-face -face time. Now, I know we've been challenged in the last few months with that, and it's been much harder to do. But what I've seen more recently is where there has been opportunities for people to meet face-to-face. -face. They're not because they've got into the habit of the quickness and ease of doing it digitally, not really realizing why they're still walking away from those interactions not fulfilled, uh, not satisfied. So I just want to go into these three just a little bit more. So the first one, time. It's not just about the amount of time we're spending on mobile devices. I think even more key is the time of day. So for example, there's been for a long time a lot of talk about blue light and the effects of blue light on our sleep. Now, blue light's there all the time. It's around us. It's actually healthy for us. We need it. It's part of the spectrum. It helps us to know the difference between day and night and allows our brain to kick in and let us fall asleep. What happens is when we use mobile devices late at night, it's not so much just the blue light. I mean, blue light filters make some difference, but not a massive amount because there's other things to factor in. It's also the proximity, how close you're holding the device to your face. Your brain's thinking it's time to um, be awake rather than sleep. You know, often if we're using mobile devices close to bedtime, people will often describe that they have disrupted sleep. Why? Because if your brain thinks it's daytime and you fall asleep, the most your body's going to do is like a daytime nap. So I know there's uh, more and more uh, an inclination. People like to have free apps, free games, free everything, but nothing is actually free because the price you're paying for it is the bombardment of, advertisements and the extraction of your data. Um, so just be careful of the content that you're using. Uh, but if you're, if you're having healthy, regular human interactions and you're watching the amount of time and the time of day that you're using your digital content, then actually I, I, I agree with our other two guests, Rob and Alex, that, you know, um, we can very much use mobile technology as an enabler. It doesn't have to become an obstacle. Absolutely. I think those are really positive tips to leave us with there today. Thank you. And I do think, sadly, at this point, we're going to have to wrap up. But a huge thank you to all three of our guests who've joined us today. So to Chetna, to Rob and to Alex. I think we've had actually a really thought provoking discussion there um, around some of the economic and societal angles associated with mobile devices as well as maybe ways that we can think a little bit more critically about how we interact on an individual level with mobile devices and also the, the content that we view as well. Um, I know I'll definitely be thinking about robot surgeons for the rest of the day there. Um, and thank you as always to our listeners for joining us on this podcast. Do make sure to rate and to, subscri to subscribe to us and listen out for our next edition of the um, podcast, which will be N for nanotechnology. Mm -hmm.